My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. I always consider building in pests inspection uh, negotiations as gravy on top. You never want to rely on it to get a good deal. This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyrone Shum and in this special episode of Invest Like a Pro presented by Housefinder, we delve into the topic of the secrets to winning negotiation. We delve into how Lou was able to help his clients negotiate the price down for a property, tactics you can use to negotiate, how to negotiate to get the best possible results and much, much more. The topic of winning negotiation is quite important when getting the best property deal as it can mean a difference of a few hundred dollars to tens of thousands of dollars. We hear about a story about one of Lou's clients that he was able to help. This particular buyer, I've, I've, uh, uh, the property just settled actually, so it wasn't, it wasn't that long ago. He reached out to me, um, you know, Sydney-based. Um, he uh, actually runs his own business, and he's, he's quite a, quite a young investor um, looking to start out. And he wanted me to help him find a property that was going to uh, create another stream of passive income for him uh, so that he could, you know, focus more time on expanding the business or have the, you know, financial capacity to expand what he's currently doing, which is his passion. So, you know, he signed up, we started looking for some properties, you know, ticking the fundamental boxes again of being properties that are distressed, below market value. Um, properties in good areas and within capital cities that, you know, have the fundamentals for growth, consistent long-term growth, and also ensuring obviously properties that have good cash flow so that, you know, he can A, hold on to it and B, move on to the next one afterwards as well. We had a couple of options I sent to him and he, he was really happy with one property, which I, uh, I started negotiating on. And, you know, we were already very happy with the, uh, with the purchase price you know, we we did all the checks in terms of the visual inspection, making sure it wasn't in any flood zones, bushfire zones, power lines, main roads, you know, anything weird, easements or anything like that. Um, so it was a really good property, you know. And to to add to that as well, the the property was actually in a um, in a zone where you could uh, develop high density units in the future. Great. So what kind of property was this? It was a single story brick house. It was four bedrooms. 
uh, two bathrooms. It had one garage and also one carport. So I guess you can say two car accommodation. Um, it was on about 700 square meters within about 25 kilometers of from Brisbane CBD. Walk to shops, schools, parks, and also walk to a train station, which was really good. The reason why the zoning was high density was it was located surrounded by residential properties, but it was very close to an area that had more sort of commercial type properties. So, you know, your shops and your your little restaurants and things like that. We could see that it was going to be inevitable that this area was going to be uh, built on at some point in the future. So that was that was actually a bonus. We didn't start looking for this property with the outset of having a property that you could rezone and redevelop one day, but it just happened to be a nice to have. When we did all the CMA and uh, sorry, the comparable markets analysis, uh, looking at comparable sales and all that type of stuff, we we figured out that this property was around about 55k below market value based on what we bought the property for. You know, the property was owner occupied, so it was lived in for a very long time before and it was in original condition, you know, but it wasn't falling apart. You know, it was livable, it was rentable from day one, probably, you know, could do with a bit of a cosmetic update. But from an investment perspective, sometimes it's just to leave everything as is, you know, as long as it's clean, tidy, safe, get it rented, get the cash flow moving and then move on. So that was the intention with this property. So we negotiated, we did the visual inspection, we did all the title searches, we, you know, made sure there's no red flags. Um, you know, we, part of the due diligence is looking at surroundings as well. So making sure no dodgy neighbors or, you know, nothing extraordinary that would, uh, sort of bring this property into not a very nice, nice buy at the end of the day. So after we've done all that, it came to do the building and pests. Now, this is one of the reasons why having a really solid team around you that knows exactly how you work can work to your benefit. You know, the building and pest person that I use personally and the business users, I have a very strong relationship with him. He knows exactly how I work. He knows exactly what I need. He's extremely thorough in what he does as well, you know, when it comes to doing these reports. So you can do all the inspection, visual inspections on this planet, you know, and you just won't know what's in the wall. You just won't know what's in the roof cavity. You know, you don't know what the ins and outs on. Uh, you know, maybe what material is used to build the property. You know, there's just so many things that a, a building and pest inspector will reveal that you, you won't know until you get it done. We find out more about the intricacies of a building and pest report and the importance of having someone that you can trust to do the inspection. This guy, he went through, did the inspection and the reason why I like using this particular building and pest inspector and that we got a good relationship is is extremely thorough extremely extremely thorough and there's a couple of reasons why he's extremely thorough the main reason is for me and the buyer to find out everything that's wrong with the property from you know little cracks that could be structural or it could be just settlement cracks you know through to maybe some really minor termite damage in the fence line in the back fence line you know, but then there might not be a, a termite barrier, so the, you know the inside of the house may be affected. Um, maybe there's a moisture reading inside a wall of a shower, um, which could indicate you know foul waterproofing. You know anything and everything, and he goes in. You know he's just extremely thorough for that reason to give you a very very thorough picture on not only what's wrong with the house currently, but what could be a risk in the future or what could develop into something severe. We learn about what a building and pest report actually looks like and what you should be looking for in the report. 
You know, building a pest report starts off with a lot of uh, regulatory jargon. <laughs> Probably the first six or seven pages is about, you know, this report negates risk to the inspector and, you know, you need to do your further re- further inspections and all this type of stuff. Legal disclaimer stuff, the correct. And then it goes in, usually goes into a bit of a summary about things that have been found. I guess major red flags, you know, so it, 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 it'd be a small summary of, you know, if there is termite issues, it'd be on there or if there are settlement cracks, uh, sorry, structural cracks, it'd be on there. Um, and where it is and all that type of stuff. And then after that, it would it would sort of detail every single room, every single part of the house, from a door binding to the most severe of items, you know, including pictures. So after you've you've gone through the building component, so you know every single you've seen every single room, all the defects. Um, after that would be a building, uh, sorry, a pest component. So the pest component would cover things like obviously termite damage, termite activity, um, could be wood rot, you know, it could be, you know, high levels of moisture or, you know, wood borers, you know, anything that would relate to current damage or a risk of infestation at some point in time. So when you combine these three elements, it just gives you a very, very clear picture on anything that's wrong with the house structurally. You know, you don't want any surprises. No one wants to buy a property and realize that, you know, half the house is falling apart and they have to spend tens of thousands of dollars to fix it. You know, you always get a building and pest inspection. Not only is getting a building and pest inspection important, it's to help understand possible problems with the property and how it can also be used to your advantage when it comes to negotiation. This is what this particular buyer um, and what we ended up doing for this particular buyer is that when we got this inspection, it naturally is extremely detailed and to cut a long story short, it's it's going to look pretty bad. Even if there's nothing wrong with or very little wrong with the property, if the property is a little bit older, it's going to come up with a lot of other little things, big things or potential risks. So as investors or as buyers, we can sometimes use this to our advantage to potentially get a price reduction on the property. Now, I guess there's a certain art, I guess, to uh, to, to maximizing this potential. You know, one of the ways that I I use is to time it very, very specifically. Uh, You know, a lot of people make the mistake of getting the building and pest done and asking for money off uh, maybe a week before the building and pest inspection is, uh, building and pest condition is due. So if you're doing that, then you're basically giving the seller a week's opportunity to do their own research to see if whatever you're claiming is legitimate or to basically maybe do their uh, own quotes or maybe even fix some of the stuff themselves um, or or look at maybe other buyers, you know, maybe some competitors that may be wanting to buy the property, but, you know, they don't want to reduce the price anymore. So for this particular buyer and for all my buyers, I always leave the building and pest inspection uh, uh, negotiation to the very last second, Um, you know, giving the buyer a lot of urgency to make a decision, but also not giving them too much of an opportunity to kind of research or to suss out if there's any other buyers that is willing to pay a higher price. So that's one of the little things. The other little thing is you have to make sure that you're not coming across as super greedy. You know, if you just say, oh, you know, we found these issues in building press, we want we want $20,000 off. But the things that are found in the report actually don't, there's no way it could equate to $20,000. The worst thing that can happen is you end up with a seller that 
we'll just get their back up. You know, originally they may be willing to have given you some money, but now that they've seen that clearly all you're, you want is just a quick, a quick buck or to take advantage of them, then they'll just say, no, we're not giving you anything. We, we give you nothing at all. So you have to be reasonable. You have to, you have to position it so that you look like you, it looks like that you're doing them a favor instead of them doing you a favor. And that includes, you know, listing out the actual things that are found in the report. There are some useful tactics that you can utilize to soften the impact when negotiating a better deal with a vendor. Making it very clear, okay, you know, we accept that the house is 20 years old. If the house is 20 years old and there are going to be some defects, um, some wear and tear items as well, cosmetic items, but these are the main issues. As a result, we want X amount off the original purchase price. And the amount you ask for has to be reasonable as well. And what I actually like to do is, is state approximately how much it would cost to fix all those issues and going below that. Because when you're going below that, you again come across as the good guy. You're trying to, you know, look, I mean, it's going to cost $7,000 to fix everything, but in the spirit of getting the deal done, you know, I'm happy to take 6000 You know, so like little things like that really, really, um, uh, you know, gives you an advantage at the end of the day. And it makes you not look like just a money-hungry investor <laughs> that just wants to you know, suck the blood of, of every single vendor out there. <laughs> so so th- that this is exactly what we did with, um, with my client's property that I was talking about. You know, we did the building and pest inspection. We found out that even though there were issues, to get the property to a safe, rentable, clean condition, it would only cost around $1,000. But because of, you know, the nature of the building and pest report and you know, some substantiated risks as well, we actually managed to to negotiate $13,000 off the contract price just by negotiating well and not being afraid to ask for it as well. That was definitely a very good outcome um, above and beyond what was already a really good purchase price. I always consider building and pest inspection um, uh, negotiations as gravy on top. You never want to rely on it to get a good deal. Um, but it was certainly, certainly pretty good... Uh, pretty good gravy. Coming up after the break, we'll delve into the strategies that Simon Liu encourages you to use when negotiating. There's a lot of different scenarios that can play out, but you know, by doing a few little things that I talked about earlier, you kind of just put things to your advantage at the end of the day. How you might be able to pick up an amazing deal. If you provide them an avenue just to bypass all that process, they're not too fussed about 1% or 2% of 50k. Potentially, you might be able to pick up a good deal just by doing that. And that's next. I'm Tyrone Shum and you're listening to Invest Like a Pro presented by Housefinder. We delve deeper into the negotiation side and we hear from Lou's experience on some of the reactions he gets from sellers when he tries to reduce the price. Sometimes you do get a bit of pushback. Um, actually, when I say sometimes, you do get, most of the time, you do get some kind of a counter offer. For this particular seller, again, it comes down to finding distressed sellers. This particular seller didn't really have the time or the capacity to negotiate and he was willing to just let it go, which was good for us. You know, and again, every negotiation has two sides. So it was a, a situation where we got what we wanted and they managed to sell the property 
in a very quick and timely manner. The property was off market, by the way, so it wasn't actually advertised. And in other negotiations, building and pair, sometimes they might come back with another figure, and then you kind of just negotiate maybe to a halfway point or a point where it's more skewed towards you. Um, and look, sometimes you get an outright no. You know, that's just the reality of different situations. And at that point, you need to assess whether it's worth it, whatever money you get off, or even if you get no money off, to proceed with a deal. Nine times out of ten, you would still want to proceed because remember that the purchase price that you originally negotiated should be the price that you would be happy with to buy the property. The only time where you wouldn't was if the building and pest actually revealed some serious issues and uh, that would have cost whatever amount of money to fix and the seller just wasn't uh, wasn't willing to play ball. And then you kind of have to assess, okay, is it worth it? If I spend this amount of money, do I still get a good property as a result? Um, yeah, there's a lot of different scenarios that can play out. But, you know, by doing a few little things that I talked about earlier, you kind of just put things to your advantage at the end of the day. So that's what it's all about. Lou explains the process of getting the building and pest report done and the time frame you should be looking to negotiate within. It's a little bit different in each state, but in Queensland, you know, you get a property under contract and usually there's a finance and a building and pest uh, condition, which is normally about 14 days. And within this 14 day, you do your all your due diligence, you go get the property valued by your bank or broker, uh, you do the building and pest inspection. And at the end of 14 days, you have to either waive these conditions or you can like I said, use it uh, to to negotiate, you know, new terms or a new price. So after this particular point, if you waive the conditions, then you're, you know, the contract is what we call unconditional. And that's when you're basically, uh, you know, obliged to purchase the property. Yeah, correct. Exchange the contract and, and, and settle on the property, you know, within the rest of the settlement date period. We have heard about tactics to use for negotiations. But what happens after terms have been agreed upon? Just staying on top of all the dates is super important. Having a really good solicitor, you know, that advises you throughout the each step, um, you know, what your obligations are, how much you have to pay um, is also super important. Most of the solicitors that I've worked with in the past have been all about just purely your obligation, what you need to do, what you should do, what you shouldn't do. A good property solicitor should give you advice or give you tips on how to use certain conditions or certain scenarios to your advantage. Again, using the building and pest example, like having a really good solicitor that's willing to help you, you know, draft up that negotiation email or the letter to the seller solicitor is super important. Because you're on such tight timeframes, having a solicitor that you can get access to, you know, even by text message, which is what I do with my solicitor, you know, super important. Hey, you know, where's this, where's this negotiation at? You know, it could be, it literally could be the last 15 minutes of the day before you come up with an agreement with a seller. So there needs to be that kind of constant communication. So that's, that's, that's very, very important as well. During the stage between buying, getting a property under contract and settlement, you have to be mindful of not inconveniencing the seller too much before the property goes unconditional. Especially for distressed sellers, you may have bought the property for cheap with the notion that you're not going to be wasting time. You know, you're not going to be stuffing around too much with delaying finance conditions or, you know, you may not be stuffing too much with 50 inspections, which happens a lot if, let's say, you're a first home buyer and you're not kind of unsure what you're doing. You might 
check out the property and you might get your mum to check out the property and then your grandma and all this type of stuff, all family, family, exactly. I'm not saying that we shouldn't do the research that we need to do to make us feel comfortable, to make us know the complete ins and outs of the property, but we should try and make it as easy as possible for the seller and as convenient as it is for them to ensure that the sale goes through as quickly as possible, but also to give to let them know that we're not here to waste their time. Yeah, so that would be the other tip I would give during the conditional stage. We find out about what you should do if you are planning on adding value to the property, as in subdividing or renovating, and whether you should negotiate that before settlement. Getting early access is something that I ask uh, with on pretty much every property that I buy. For me and my clients, price is number one. What usually happens when you're working with a seller is for the seller, giving the buyer a discount is the last thing they want to do. So you should always negotiate on the building and pest first. Get that sorted, get that out of the way, and then ask for things like early settlement. Because if you ask for early settlement and building and pest at the same time, if you put these two things on the table for the seller, hey, you can give me $13,000 off and early access, you're really giving them a choice. And they're just going to be like, all right, well, I'm not going to give you 13 grand. I'll give you early access. You know, so you kind of just need to be a little bit smart about it. Just be a little bit more, um, you know, set your priorities, right? Making sure that you lock in the most important thing first before we're moving to the to another thing. I think I might be revealing too much yet, to be honest. But uh, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, look, I mean, that's one really small part on obviously the whole negotiation process. And you know, if you do it right, it usually works. So it's basically a staggered approach, get the best price first. Then from there, you'd go back in and ask for potentially early access or whatever else you need to do. So that's something that the building and pest example, you know, there are so many other things like, you know, when you're when you're actually negotiating the price of the property, having a really solid relationship with the agent is crucial because if you think about it, you're not actually dealing with the seller. You're dealing with the agent. You're talking to him. You don't contact the seller at any point during the entire transaction process. So your job isn't really to sell the buyer to take your offer. It's to sell the agent. And that comes with a good rapport, really good relationship. You need to establish yourself so that you're not there to waste their time. But most importantly, it's the understanding that there's a myth out there that the agent works for the seller. Now, I'm sure there are some agents out there that only have their best uh, the seller's interest at heart. But the reality of it is every single agent out there is a real estate agent to make commission, to make money, to sell houses. Now, if you provide an avenue for the agents to sell that house as quickly as possible, aka them getting paid as quickly as possible, then they're going to work in your favor. Real estate agents are looking for the best deal possible and as quick as possible. Remembering, this might just be the key to closing a deal in the future. You have to also understand that most agents get paid one to two percent in uh, in commission from the from the selling agent, and you know fifty k difference in price may not mean that much to them from a commission perspective. But uh, you know if it means them not having to do fifty inspections, dealing with uh, time wasters and silly offers or anything like that, if you provide them an avenue just to bypass all that process, they're not too fussed about one or two percent of 50k potentially you might be able to pick up a good deal just by doing that so 
thank you to buyer's agent Simon Liu, our guest on this special episode of Invest Like a Pro presented by Housefinder. Also, for being a loyal listener of the podcast, I've asked Simon to offer a free one-hour strategy session normally valued at $500 to help you put together an actionable property plan. To get your free strategy session, simply visit housefinder.com.au and fill out the contact form or call Simon directly on 0415-626-342 and quote, property investory. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. 